Welcome to In The Room, where we explore the elusive world of casting for film, TV, and commercials. Join us as we interview directors, writers, producers, and actors, taking a deep dive into their experiences with casting and how the ultimate decisions are made in bringing a story to the screen. Get an inside look at casting and find out what really goes on in the room. What was your relationship like? Relationship? Yeah. You get along? You're 18 now. You said no to staying with us here at the children's home. You know what that means? You need to seek a job as soon as you can. I know everything about you. You're a lot like me. I don't hurt people. I mean on purpose. It's called fight or flight. Comes out of us when we sense a threat. John Williams, I'm a casting director. I'm Kendra, I'm an actor and the casting assistant to John Williams and Carmen Leach. Today, we're in the room again. We are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a little in my feels today because John had a birthday yesterday. Yes, he did. And uh, I drank cocktails, which I don't do that often (laughs) anymore. Um, actually, no, I think it's your birthday today. Isn't no, it? yesterday was my birthday. Yesterday was yeah. your actual birthday? Yeah. Or are you just trying to keep yourself untraceable from the stalkers online? Uh, always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday you. once again, John. 70. 70. Doesn't look a day over. 65. 29. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, so today we are in the room with AJ Edwards. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. So let me just read you a little bit about AJ. AJ was born in Walnut Creek, California, and raised in San Antonio, Texas. In 2013, he wrote and directed his first feature, The Better Angels, starring Diane Kruger, Jason Clark, Britt Marling, and Wes Bentley. That film centers on the formative years of Abraham Lincoln in the wilderness of Indiana. 
It debuted domestically at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival and internationally at the 64th Annual Berlin Film Festival. It opened theatrically nationwide in the fall of 2014. His second feature as writer-director was Age Out, a crime drama set in Texas, starring Ty Sheridan, Imogen Poots, Jeffrey White, and Caleb Landry Jones. Executive produced by Gus Van Zandt. Age Out made its world premiere at the 2018 South by Southwest Film Festival and its international premiere at the 44th Duville American Film Festival before being distributed theatrically in 2019. Edwards has also completed First Love, his third feature, a romantic drama and coming-of-age story starring Diane Kruger, Hero Finds Tiffin, Jeffrey Donovan, and Sidney Park. Today, we're going to talk to AJ about Age Out. Age Out tells the story of a young man, 18 years old, who has just aged out of the foster care system. And now it's time for him to go into the world and make his life. And he finds himself in some challenging situations and makes some terrible mistakes and then ultimately finds an impossible love in a friend. Um, it's absolutely hauntingly beautiful and some of the most amazing performances. Ty Sheridan, Imogen Poots. I mean, everybody is so quietly uh, brimming with intensity and um and it, it you know it it there was something about empathy that I found when I was looking for stuff about you and I think it's a quote from you that said empathy is very important to me I try to create humane ennobled characters even if your character is a criminal or an adulterer or a corrupt king you must find that kernel of humanity in them Shakespeare does that and that is rare today. I think everything about Age Out speaks to that kind of empathy because I was able to feel it for absolutely every one of the characters, even Swim, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talk a little bit about where the story came from for you. Are you familiar with the foster care system? Or like, what was the first touchstone? Was it Waco? Was it an actor, Ty Sheridan, maybe? What was it for you that brought that story? Uh, I had thought of the story years ago when I was a teenager. Um, and it was a composite of a few different stories I had read, both in literature and then in the news. There's even a, a 60 minute special that talked about aging out. And I just thought it was a very interesting way to start a story. Um, someone that's just released into the world and how are they going to now operate with few resources and all the temptations they would face. Um, and so the, the I, and then we mentioned Waco, I knew that I wanted to shoot there since it's under shot, or at least it was at the time. I don't know if it has become more chronicled since, but it has so many interesting locales to offer uh, and variety in that way. And so um, I had roots there too, and really have always wanted to film there. And casting wise, yes, I knew even before there was a script that I wanted to work with Ty Sheridan, um, who was perfect for the role and um, generously committed when the film was just a treatment. And then as I wrote the drafts of the script, I would share it with him and he would comment 
and we'd toss ideas back and forth and then he just remained on board. And so how did you connect with Ty Sheridan? I knew him uh, since he was 10 years old uh, because of his time on the Tree of Life where me and uh, the producer of that film, Nick Gonda, were tasked with finding specifically the children in the movie, the the O'Brien family children and then the neighborhood children. And so we spent two years going around to schools looking for young people uh, and specifically non-actors. Vicki Boone, the casting director, was to find actors. And then Nick and I had to find a lot of the roles that were non-actors. And so uh, I just stayed in touch with Ty after the film. And then he uh, went on to work with uh, you and John on Joe with uh, David Gordon Green. And then he's had you know, a number of successful films since. And, and he was the perfect age and perfect type. I got him right at the right moment for, for this film back in uh, 2016. Okay, so that's the second time I've heard someone talk about going around to schools looking for children. <laughs> Creepos. No, how, how does that literally, like, how does that happen? Do you call the school and say, like, how, yeah. what, say specifically how that happens? I mean, yeah, you have to get you have to get a contact, or you walk into the school and you go to the the main office yeah, and you tell them what you tell them what you're doing, and then they help coordinate and organize. I didn't know you guys spent two years going around, so you definitely understand my pain. And you, you definitely understand when you ask me to go find real people. <laughs> I mean, like, do you just go observe and stand in the corner at lunch hour? Or wh- how do you do that? I mean, what was your guys' process? Did you they let you walk around or did they sign, have people that were interested come up? Or Our motto was based on There Will Be Blood, uh, which did it in Marfa. But I think they, from what I heard, only visited really one school and then immediately found their boy and moved on. Um, so based on the model they had created, we got a letter from the film office with this very kind of attractive seal of the governor that looked very official. And then on top of that would, you know, we take that to each superintendent statewide. And then those superintendents that were open to us visiting their districts, we would then start conversations with the principals. And once you got through that gatekeeper, then you kind of had open access with that, that magic letter to explore the campuses. Some principals would let you roam like you at, you were asking John and some you had a chaperone and uh, it, ha- it all had to be very discreet. I never spoke directly with children during the observation process. It was always, um, you know, I would say, oh, the, the fella in the blue shirt in the corner and then the chaperone or my guide would note them and then send that child home with a letter um, that they didn't know what the letter said, but their parents would then see your child has been selected in consideration of this uh, casting process. And then the, if, the, if the parents then chose to participate, they would then bring their child that weekend to like a civic center where then we would discuss and put them on tape and, and tell them what was happening. But there are a lot of steps that would have to get to finally actually interact with the child and then see if they were appropriate. So what, when you were doing that, what were you looking for? What, what do you look for when you, when you were looking at kids? Like, I know I, I know I usually have a specific lens depending on the project too. 
And it's usually I'm looking for the kids that probably don't want to be on camera. <laughs> totally. That was, we, yeah, you and I still face that, John, is sometimes the person that you want is the, is the kind of person that never would want to go to a casting call. Um, uh, especially when you're looking for certain kind of rough roles or, you know, things like that. And so, yeah, we were looking for boyishness, athletic, um, maybe even a little mischievous, uh, thoughtful and intelligent, but maybe not the um, AP or honor roll student, you know, uh, and someone that uh, could really be placed in a 1950s Texan locale and it's believable. Um, so the three boys we found, Ty was from uh, Palestine, Laramie was from Wichita Falls, and then uh, Hunter, the lead, was from Possum Kingdom. And uh, yeah, all of them are very, very distinct and uh, somehow work together as a family unit, but then all have their complete individuality. So it was pretty beautiful. I'm interested in discussing your casting process uh, because one of the things that's uh, interesting is that you don't really do callbacks. You don't that we didn't do callbacks on age out uh and i don't think we did callbacks on first love either uh and so when you're when you're writing are you do you have in like something in mind or what, what is what is your process when it comes to casting i think in terms of the no callbacks idea it depends there are some that we did a few callbacks on i remember you and i uh, we had discussion, with, discussions, I think, yeah. Or, or, yeah, there, or you had people come back in with some notes, for sure. You, you're right that there were that the those that came back for callbacks were there was a fewer number of those. But I am keen to move to a phone call, or you know, uh, getting to talk with the person or hear from the person much sooner than some, as opposed to continuing to put them up in front of the white wall three times, four times, five times, and seeing the same thing over and over again, more and more refined. That doesn't, I know that works for some, that doesn't inform me as much as getting to hear from them and then, uh, yeah, see how they're interpreting the material, which is all, usually because they're going off side, it's very mysterious. They're just kind of grasping in the dark. So it's nice to, yeah, more quickly discover where, where their head is and, and how they're feeling about it and see if there's a uh, an immediate kind of spark or a rapport uh, between me and them, um, which is always very telling. When you're writing, do you have something in mind usually or do you have an idea of what this person is or? More often than not, yes. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, sometimes actors like that, they like to hear that you went to them with them in mind. Some of them hate that and will even avoid you if you say, I wrote this for you or the type of, you know, perform you are I had in mind. You know, they might they might feel that you're onto them and that you're cornering <laughs> them. And so that you always have to play that dance and feel them out in terms of whether that'll be an attractive approach or not. Um, and sometimes you write and the person you have in mind, you know, you'll never work with. Uh, which is funny, you know, some some pie in the sky person, but still you just can't get them out of your head. So then you're up to finding uh, a suitable alternative. <laughs> when you found Ty, had he ever acted before? No, none of the children had acted. And uh, 
um, which was which was great. They all were very naturally charismatic in their own way. And um, Ty's audition, if you can call it that, it wasn't really an audition because we didn't have them do lines. Um, it was all just more about rapport, authenticity, and their just innate charisma. And so I think I, what I, what we did with Ty is he just, uh, I think he and I played catch. And then um, I gave him a couple different props to hold and to see how he, um, how that how that kind of informed his behavior in terms of when I was talking to him with a prop, say a ball versus when he didn't have the ball. And you can, they were based sort of on auditions I'd seen with um, James Dean uh, or Dennis Hopper or kind of actor school stuff where, um, you know, you can see the way that they are. They sort of feel like they're in school when you just have them stand straight up and they have to, you know, as opposed to when you throw someone in there that they didn't expect to be with or you give them a, you know, a paper clip to uh, play with or ask them to do something embarrassing. Suddenly they loosen up and they not only surprise you, but surprise themselves. And so with the children, um, that was the goal first was to see their behavior as opposed to say how much they can follow direction and recite lines, which was, which came much, much later in the process. So for age out, what was the first thing in the casting process? I mean, I know you already sort of had a commitment from Ty. And so then was the, what was the next step for filling out the rest of the characters? The next person we went to was Imogen. Um, and she was filming in Smithville at the time, which was very convenient because I, like I said, or John had mentioned, it's, you know, trying to get formal rapport as quickly as possible rather than letting things sit with agents too long or letting even the potential cast members sit with the script too long. I try to get into a relationship sooner because I find you have better luck if you can show that you're not insane, show that <laughs> you're trustworthy, show, uh, you know, you can answer maybe some misconceptions they have about the script sooner and, and just get the trust going both ways. So getting toward coffee or lunch sooner is very important. And that that was that was what was uh, convenient about Imogen shooting a, was it Country Called Home in Smithville? So I was able to go meet her and uh, Did you again, have to go share. through her agent first and call and say, is it okay what? if I... Yes, yeah, went through, went through her agent, but uh, the script wasn't completed yet, so there wasn't it, uh, there wasn't something fully uh, formed to share exactly, so it was really the her, her, her rep's trust in my producing partner, Nick Gonda, their trust in him uh, to not connect their client with a, with a psycho. So um, AJ hides his insanity really it's, well. It's important. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a great quality in a director. <laughs> yeah. I always think of that. These, these poor actors, how often they're walking into a situation that they don't know what exactly it is or who the people are. Well, you, you know, don't either. I've been, sitting, I've been staring at the cast under a microscope yeah. and I know all their movies and all this and that and watching them and, and then they walk in, they don't know anything. So, but you only know them from their movies, and sometimes they walk True. in and, and we're insane as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With Imogen, there are met there are a few different connections of, sh of shared people that uh, we knew. So 
in that way, I knew her a little better than just being a face on a screen through different actors that were kind of connect me. And then uh, her time or her time with Nick Gonda on uh, Night of Cups. How did that how did that coffee go? I mean, it obviously went well. We, we got her. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I remember we talked a lot about music. She has a great passion for music. So we talked about the Smiths and uh, different books she was reading. And so after that, we shared just stayed in touch about books and shared some, you know, mixes and playlists and stuff. Uh, and then it it went from there. That's my favorite kind of relationship over music mixtapes and books and coffee. <laughs> yeah, the shirt, the getting on the, the same page. It's awesome. Is, is Nothing's better. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it very quickly establishes that a trust mm -hmm. that tonally we will probably be on the same page. And I think as an actor, that's really helpful because a lot of the times we're we're reading something and on the page it can sound like a, a story we've heard a million times and you just don't have any idea how this director actually sees that scenario or what it's going to end up coming out like you know like there's a lot of um just beautiful artistic interpretations and touches throughout age out that you know speak to a very specific uh artistic vision um, that you wouldn't necessarily get on the page. You know, some some of the stuff your cinematographer did and, and I'm sure you had in mind, especially in Marfa, um, you know, with different colors. And That's all of AJ's scripts, though. Like, like you read it and they're good, but I, I have to say to people, I'm like, but you don't understand what you he's going to do with you have this. To, yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't understand how great he's going to make this and how beautiful he's going to make this. I feel that's yeah, yeah. exactly what I'm trying to say. And there's so much in that movie that it just isn't on the page. It's not on the page. Yeah, yeah. I would have never seen it coming. I mean, even just from like the 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 abandoned building and the library scene and just how you filled just with the actions and just the moments and just in the silence. It was just like, you know, it was just poetic. That, it was so poetic, that library scene. Yeah, that location is was amazing. Yeah, I was in touch with someone who shot there since then, and they were telling me the difficulty of trying to preserve that place and it kind of caving in and uh, trying to get it acknowledged as a, a landmark of some kind and all the bureaucracy they were going to to keep it keep it uh, operational. Okay, so Imogen's on board. What next? Imogen, Imogen's on board, and then uh, next up was uh, finding Swim, uh, and that was I went you know I look what's interesting with all of these is I, I'm very lucky and this is not the first not the first film that's had this but it's always the first person I go to so it, it was very convenient um, this film especially was just it came together so beautifully but it was going casting swim and it was Caleb Landry Jones the first person I wanted I had seen him in um, heaven knows what and uh, read an article by Richard Brody of the New Yorker talking about this as one of the best most exciting new actors. And so I'd seen him in that and then Cronenberg's antiviral. And so I called up his agent uh, and yeah, there was no red tape or any politics. It was just very easy to kind of get the project through to him. And he was shooting, uh, I think, Twin Twin Peaks at the time. Was he also but based then, in Texas? He's a Dallas kid. He, yeah. Yep. He grew up in Dallas. Yeah, he's from outside of Dallas. I think he's from Richardson mm -hmm. and uh, 
so we were able to again the, the the connection was able to happen sooner rather than later so it was wonderful to be able to meet him in austin and uh he did a wonderful thing that uh i'm very grateful for and that i it's a i imagine a very rare thing for an actor but right at the beginning of the meeting you know i sat down and he didn't sit down and he uh he said uh before we say anything i just want you to know i'm in uh, <laughs> and it just it just made the you know, we ended up sitting and talking. It was the longest first talk I've ever had. It was probably four hours, five hours. And we just sat there and it was so nice instead of kind of feeling each other out like cats, like you usually do. It just was able to actually immediately connect. And uh, yeah, it was just cigarette after cigarette on his part and and just actually getting into the role from, from meeting one. But it was, it just was wonderful. To the point, isn't it he just showed up on a bus, right? On the when, first day, when production came, yeah, yeah, he uh, he showed up and he had um, the costume designer, who was a, a terrific artist, had uh, prepared, you know, what 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 she and I had discussed in terms of costume and some possibilities, um, but he he showed up uh, and had actually got, brought his costume already. He had gone kind of thrifting and already had everything that he wanted to wear and everything in mind and. The way he wanted to look, and uh, it was it was it was wonderful that the, the team, you know, the creative team, hair, makeup, wardrobe were able to be malleable enough to kind of catch up to what he was already thinking, rather than feel miffed or whatever that that their work had been in vain, which it wasn't because it was it ended up being a composite, but it was uh it was exciting to see how he would um, enter you know, HMU tent or wardrobe tent. And he, and he wasn't there just as like a, a canvas to be painted on by them for whatever discussions we had had for the last few months. He was very involved, uh, putting this makeup on, putting this under his nails, uh, taking this object and putting it in his pocket. Um, it was just, it was as a, anybody in the room, it was very exciting to watch him work because he's unlike anyone else in that way. How did you feel about that? I mean, did you come already with an idea of what swim should look like and dress like, and then his was different? His wasn't different. I thought his, um, it was unique to him and brought his own sensibilities, but I, I still think it was in the vein of what I was hoping for. We had talked about sort of um, like a mix of um, the aesthetic of my own private Idaho with Columbine. So, that would be the sort of feeling. And so uh, the costume designer and I were groping toward that, trying to feel out how, how to get there. Um, even going to malls and finding kind of skater kids in the corner, and I'd sneak a picture of them or, you know, guys with flannel tied around their waist with combat boots or jeans tucked into the boots, which is, I remember that was a thing we argued about a lot was whether jeans should be tucked into boots or not. And everyone had a real opinion <laughs> on what kind of people do that versus what kind of people don't. And we ended up doing it a lot with Ty. Again, part of that, I don't know, for some reason I associated with Columbine, but that was one of the, the feelings we were going for. But 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 Caleb came and um, yeah, I, th I thought he, I mean, his clothes, and the other beautiful thing is all the clothes he had almost already worn in and they were, they had texture to them and the kind of things that costume designers work very hard to achieve. Uh, so, yeah, I couldn't have been happier with it. 
Yeah, I remember seeing this morning, watching it again, seeing the dirt on his fingers. That's the first thing I saw. Yeah. It's the first thing. He just nailed, I know guys, and I've been around guys like that in, in small town Texas, and, and uh, he just nailed the danger, the sociopath, mm. the just like. All the crazy. Yeah. And, and just. The driving. Yeah. 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 Like I felt like that was very much a choice he made of I'm gonna drive and not look where I'm driving. Right, like a maniac. Like for a long time, I'm just gonna talk to this other person and not look at where we're going. But we get to see, so it's like it's anxiety inducing. Right, you know. You're you like, did such a good, they, you did such a great job keeping that anxiety. Yeah, on the screen for sure. Like the whole. He also does an exciting thing that he uh, he comes to set on days off, oh, which uh, was very exciting i remember before before shooting he came before his before his roles shot uh he would come and just stand on set with not everyone yet knowing who he was and i'm sure that had an effect on ty not that ty is one to be intimidated but it's a little i'm sure funny to see your adversary in the film getting to watch you first because then not only would he come to set he would also come to dailies and i remember he was watching what ty was doing before he before he had a chance to do it himself, which was a, uh, I thought very clever. Um, yes, and he was taking advantage of an opportunity that not a, in my experience, not a lot of actors do. So, mm -hmm. especially in that role too, where it was just sort of like you know trying to get get under his skin and 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 take control of Ty. That's smart. That's real smart. Interesting. Yeah, he and, he Caleb and I were both very mischievous in that way. Because uh, Ty is very, very intelligent, uh, um, can read a room immediately like a politician. He's sort of like Ryan Gosling in that way, or like a George Clooney, um, which I think is one of the things that makes him such a great performer is that he can immediately engage sympathy and, uh, yeah, he, that's just one of the great things about him and makes him such a, a lovable person. But um because he's such a, a rule follower a good person all these things outwardly it was fun with caleb to come up with ways to needle ty and uh whether it's through an improvisation that ty wasn't aware of or changing blocking that maybe we had already agreed on things that would drive him nuts and get him a little more uh rattled which i think helped the character i think it came across for sure i mean knowing ty and how what a sweet guy he is i mean he seemed like he was legitimately pissed <laughs> and did not like swim near the end yeah we talked it was fun to talk about that with him the allowing yourself to be disliked which uh, i know some actors have strong opinions on and i know ty does too but I, i've heard tom hanks talk about it you know that how difficult it is to allow your the audience to dislike you or to do something ignoble um to debase yourself and that's i think that's caleb He'll wake up and do that at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Uh, he's like, he's like James Cagney, you know, like sticking the grapefruit in the woman's face. You no, know, Caleb will do it. He'll turn over the table like Ed Harris and Pollock or something. Actors like Ty or Ryan Gosling or Tom Hanks, they spent their whole careers, I think, wrestling with getting to that level of performance and whether they're comfortable with it or not, and how and what will happen to their image, what will happen to their career if they do that. And so that's always interesting to hear actors' thoughts on that. I wrestle with that too, but I don't think it's it's definitely not my image or my career. But uh, it's a Texas thing. You, you think know? it's a Texas and maybe thing? a little bit yeah. of a woman thing? It's a Texas like you, 
one of the very first qualities that sort of wants to come out in me is I want to make sure everyone in the room feels comfortable. Oh, that's what you mean. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you know, um, you know, just making everyone in the room feel relaxed and comfortable and, and, um, people pleasing, people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I've had to work on as an actor. You don't want to play the bad guy. I love playing the bad guy. Yeah. You know, what's weird. Like when I was in high school and did theater all the way through, college for the most part i got the mean girls wrote like i was the bad person even one of the very first plays like out of college when i moved to austin I was on stage i was the adulterer i was like not the good person Ooh. and then when i got to team film i was like i don't want to do that anymore <laughs> right so now yeah. that you know we're talking about it, i was like oh i didn't think about it i mean it was fun but i guess in, like you're saying like i was like i don't want the world to think i'm a horrible person yeah so yeah maybe it is a Southern it's, thing, right? It's like, something that I've had to like address from the get go because it's just a part of like breaking it all down to be in a relaxed enough place to to not worry about judgment, yeah, and to just give it all. Ugly, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I d- I don't get to play bad guys very often. In fact, I usually play fuck ups and drug addicts and women broken on, broken women mm. on the verge of, mm. of the end mm-hmm. um so i'm like if i get the chance to play like a, a normal ingenue that that would be fun <laughs> like yeah. i got to do that in lovers of hate and i think that's why i enjoyed it so, so much, much yeah it's because i never get to do that yeah they're fun roles what are, what are your favorites to write aj good versus bad you mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah Oh, definitely bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's also something I think I'm more interested in exploring going forward. Um, so, yeah. I find myself drawn to it as a watcher. Like, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching Caleb because I think what he did was incredibly unique. And that's what excites me is watching somebody take a villain or a bad guy or, a, you know, dark person and not play them the way you've seen them play (laughs) you know like uh what they actually do with them and i just found what caleb did with swim was just like master class i mean the way he managed to still invoke a sense of complete and total chaos while also being really like internalized about it it felt like like he it like the chaos was just always brimming underneath and then occasionally came out but even still not really there was something kind of fluid about his insanity I've hung out with swim many times <laughs> fun, John's like they're John's fun. like I've been swim in a past life <laughs> They're fun guys to be around to a point to an extent yeah I was like to an extent I mean he yeah he nailed it he was great yeah, and then when when who was next? Was it Jeffrey that came on after that? It was Jeffrey and Brett Butler, uh, whom you brought to the table, John, and our, after our discussions of who would be best, um, which I thought was like a perfect strike that you threw in terms of uh, you know, because she, she doesn't have much screen time, so she has to linger in the mind, she has to haunt us and haunt Ty. Um, and be believable within the, the fabric of the story, given how specific the, the location is. And uh, so Brett certainly brought that from day one. Uh, all that's 
not only in her personal history, but just her approach to acting. You could feel it just when she came on set, which is always an exciting thing when a, a day player arrives and changes the complete dynamic of a film. I always love that, the way they disrupt and the way that they uh, have to dive in, not knowing what all has been captured before. Um, but the, the bolder, the better, which is great. Um, she seems really brave like in that way. Michael Shannon and Revolutionary Road, if you remember that character, the way he just comes into that family and explodes it in his little time. But it, it, day players can sometimes do that. Yeah, I was real excited when we got her and that, that she, she came in. That, that's definitely a masterful stroke of casting on your part. Yeah. Agree. Like, just her, she has like that kind of, she also has that inbuilt sort of Southern weight to her. In her voice and her just face might have been a Carmen idea, but we're always looking and we're saying who who haven't we you know who who haven't we seen who have, we're, we're you know who could bring something and we're like oh my oh. god yeah yeah so wait so how did you guys ended up connecting for this like you know before because I know you're talking about your your top casting you kind of already knew Ty and all that stuff and obviously you went kind of non traditional like for ma- your top cast right um, did you come in during that process part? Or um, he got the ones he wanted to an extent, and then you jumped in, you and Carmen? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he, he, he Imogen and Ty and Caleb were on board, and then I think we were still working on Jeffrey and, 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 and uh, everybody else. And then we did, we did you know, traditional sessions. We had, uh, saw a bunch of people. There's some stuff that got cut that was really, some people that were great uh, and didn't make the, the final cut, but there was, there was, there was a fairly large casting, traditional casting that went okay. in. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Like, did you guys. And it was, fu- it's fun because you allow for such freedom and exploration and to, you know, uh, create moments that necessarily aren't in, you know, on the page and to, to try to, he allows us to like push around, play around a lot, which I really appreciate. So like Jeffrey Wright plays the police officer, which could have been played by a gazillion yeah. types of people. Like, did Not you... that police officer. Well, <laughs> <laughs> did you come up with Jeffrey Wright pretty quickly or? I mean, I don't know the story behind Jeffrey. That was, that was all AJ, I think. Yeah, he again was the first person we thought to go to. Um, and luckily, he he said yes. We had a few points of connect, personal and professional connection, where it made it somewhat convenient to go to him. Uh, he, at the time, was more involved in theater and then his political activity. Um, he hadn't done Westworld and Batman and kind of this last seven years of the Jeffrey Wright explosion. That hadn't happened yet. He was being much more kind of family oriented and and had his own his own ventures that he was pursuing. And uh, what we just tried to do was beg him uh, (laughs) and then make it as, um, make it as easy as possible to say yes, in terms of accommodating his schedule uh, and, and doing the, he had a few certain things that he wanted to do in Texas anyway. And so we just tried to just really roll out the red carpet in our pathetic Waco way. And, uh, and then it, it all, worked out but he uh he's another person that is unlike like he's very different than Caleb but he's uh unlike any other actor I've ever worked with in terms of how he prepares and uh or in some ways doesn't prepare which I don't mean that as an insult but rather it's like an open vessel when coming to the set and wanting to absorb things 
and it really took time uh, in terms of him finding the voice that he wanted, the posture he wanted, the objects and mannerisms that he wanted to follow. And so Jeffrey was very keen in terms of observing the uh, Waco police that we were shadowing and whose help we were benefiting from. Je Jeffrey was very attentive to them. Uh, although he dresses nothing like them, he took a much more tactical, <laughs> cooler approach, which I'm glad he did, because I don't think the denim and the cowboy hats and boots and buckles would have been as uh, as Jeffrey, nor would they have been as original. So, Okay, but you did have a fellow officer during the interrogation of Ty who just sits there mm, and takes, notes. takes a little bit of notes at one point and says absolutely nothing and please tell me he's a real police officer or an actor, which is he? He was so he good is, just sitting there. <laughs> he's neither. He was our gaffer. Oh my God! <laughs> That's amazing! Yeah, That's we loved him. Everyone on set loved him and he had such a... Uh, uh, I mean, that, that, it was hilarious. We couldn't stop laughing at how yeah. perfectly he is believable in that role and not saying anything and being intimidating. And totally. His yeah, he had a little belt pad. He's like, and he was just listening yeah. and he was just perfect. I couldn't take my eyes off him in the best way. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like, surely he's the real deal. Well, and Jeffrey picked up too, because I, I mean, he he felt like a Texas cop, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. he, he in that voice and he, he really brought that, that, that gravitas. And I know that he kind of found that when he got there and he started to put it all together, but it really, really worked so, so well. Did you have a lot to say, like when you when he was trying to discover it? Were you guys going back and forth on ideas or? No, I was pretty hands off. Um, when we, that's one of the, the scenes with Ty and Jeffrey are scenes that featured a little bit more traditional coverage, meaning shot, reverse shot and, uh, you know the, the rhythm that 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 those kind of interrogation scenes require so as opposed to a more fluid camera or handheld or doing things in a in a, all in a master so in that way with jeffrey we shot ty side first uh which is usually polite to do to an actor that's new to a set and um and and th in that way shooting it over hours jeffrey was able to experiment a lot off screen to figure out what he wanted to do and uh with all his little micro adjustments and everything that he was trying out, I could just feel him, you know, figuring figuring it out and get making something better than I had even thought of. Because, um, you know, like you said, Heather, a, a, a million people could have played him. So uh, I'm so glad that he brought something much more nuanced and idiosyncratic. Uh, to, to the part as opposed to the standard, you know, cable TV cop. Well, and that's a wonderful thing that you did. I mean, I know it is customary to shoot the lead or whoever first, but to, to give him that space to be able to explore and find that because sometimes when it's reversed, you know, that's what ends up on film for me. And then we go, we turn around on the other person and, and, I'm, like, and I'm brilliant. Like, You're right, <laughs> right, right, right. Like, like, shit, can we do my close yeah. up again? Because now I got it. Totally. So I, I can I can feel how Jeffrey would appreciate having that time to figure it out. Because sometimes it can be really hard with a role like that, um, you know, that you've seen on screen a million times. The police officer who's out to get the kid or the bad guy or whatever. But you have to, um, you really want to find your own individual voice and and color of the character. Um, 
and that can put that can put extra pressure and so um i don't know having that time to play i just also from watching the film feel like you probably allow that in your set daily i could be wrong but it feels like you allow actors to create in the space like you give respect to that you give time for that would you think that that is accurate or are you over there going like, faster, like better? So. <laughs> no, no. I like to think I do, because uh, that's what's fun for me. I have uh, no interest in going to set and just making sure everything that happens is fulfilling what is in my head. Uh, you know, that really doesn't interest me. I'm much more interested in being surprised, being amazed, uh, having someone take something that I started and finish it, making it better. Uh, doing things that I never could have imagined that I love that much more than sort of the, um, I mean, th these are wonderful filmmakers, but much more than like the David Fincher, Wes Anderson thing where, where actors are sort of coming on and stepping into a template and, a in an incredible design by a, a genius filmmaker that just, that's that I think is, you know, the kind of Hitchcock way. I think that interests some filmmakers, uh, I've heard Woody Allen can sometimes be that way where that there's a story with him and Meryl Streep where he walked over and he said, uh, there's a, there's a comma in this, in the line. <laughs> she said, oh, I know. And he said, well, you should read it then. Like there's a comma, you know, <laughs> uh, but that kind of like that, that, that kind of filmmaking, although it can be masterful for some, I, that's just not, uh, who I am or what I want to pursue. I mean, I feel like it just, it's, and there's so many great moments that are created in your films of just allowing for that sort of discovery, you know, just, I, there's so many quiet moments and so much that you let things breathe that uh, come across and, and, and add to that poetic sort of feel Yeah. that, that is, I think, a, an AJ quality. I mean, I also think it just starts with the fact that you sit down beforehand and just to talk and have coffee, right? Because then... Like you mentioned, like the moment that you build that relationship and have established, you know, them getting comfortable, it allows them to have a little bit of room to play on on set and be comfortable doing that, knowing that that's what their director already set the presence of from the beginning. So, I mean, from an I, actress standpoint, you know what I mean? I think it gives a, you give me a feel that we're working together and I'm not yeah, working for you, that you we're are. creating something together. You, you, you give an environment like, like that, we're which I think is super, yeah, collaborating, which is super appreciative. Yeah. It's very generous. I mean, I think that, you know, it can happen and probably does happen quite a bit, but also does not because I think you have an idea of what you want and you're, you know that this is a medium that you can't create that idea yourself it's going to take a lot of other players. And so I think it's probably easy to be like, but all of you players have to act the way that I need you to act to do my vision in my head. And mm -hmm. so I think it's really cool that you are able to, you know, stay open to it. And for me, that is what allows those moments to happen on screen mm -hmm. for people to just be in that space. And then they play around and unique things come yeah. to the screen. I was say beautiful moments can are memorable yeah. and aren't just, you know, a rehash of moments we've seen before. So bravo, AJ, we or, love or, you. Or, or my question, is that premeditated or is that just, or is that is that something that you intentionally? He's a mastermind. <laughs> I think it comes from, I've been very fortunate to not miscast a film yet of the three that I've made. And I've 
that's the thing I've been most fortunate with is, which I guess is the, the thing that a filmmaker can be most fortunate with is, is casting it right, which to give Woody Allen a nicer quote, which he says is 90% of making the movie, just cast it right. But uh, if that, that freedom that hopefully actors enjoy on the set and the trust and being open to things like improvisation or can I try this or can I try that, changing rhythms, changing directions and blocking, talking more, all that as a result of casting the film correctly. Though that amount of trust and the director maybe having to express more control may be a result of unfortunately miscasting the film either intentionally or unintentionally. Intentionally because you need the money and someone says, if you cast this guy, the movie gets made and you go, oh God, okay. And you know that you're miscasting the film, which I've seen before, um, or you do it unintentionally. Uh, which then you either you get into production and you go oh lord how do i fix this and either you can micromanage on set or then you're having to fix it in the edit or even on production if you're a big shot you know like pete anderson or something two weeks into filming you can fire the person and then replace them uh and then reshoot everything so uh that that trust i think comes from casting properly unless and it's not fully just a part of the director's personality. So hopefully that trend of casting well continues for me. Do you feel those kind of pressures to cast certain types of people, names, to get your films funded or to do things like that? Like, is that a pressure you deal with? No, I've never cast a film with someone and, and, and the understanding was with this person that will get made. I've, luck, I've lucked out in terms of wanting a certain person and 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 that that person is valuable. So the kind of default thing was that they get made, but it's also first and foremost that they are appropriate and I did want them. Uh, but I, I've, I've, I know of other films, I've been part of other films where it really is like a menu where because your film requires this budget, because it's a bigger film, you know, the movies I make are very small, but I know some people, oh, if your movie costs $20 million or $40 million, you know, you'll need these three people to get it made. And then the people, and then the director and the producers have to sit and think about, well, we'll yes, we will get the budget we want, but will it compromise the integrity of the film because we're knowingly miscasting it? Um, there are sometimes, you know, you can, it's exciting when you cast someone against type or maybe you, you're, you're stretching them and doing something that they've never done before. Um, you know, for example, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer, I'm sure that wasn't who producers initially wanted because he's not a marquee name, but uh, by bringing him into the leading man role, that was very exciting. And so doing unusual casting can have its benefits, but I, I mean more when you know that you're, I don't want to name an example because that would be bad, but uh you know, we've been you, very you know. fortunate. I mean, we've been very fortunate with the two movies I've done with you to have just a phenomenal cast for the price that we we had, the money we had to make it. And so, and I think that's just a huge testament to AJ and his filmmaking and his when people meet him and they and he, his uh, understanding of film and, and his his visions and you know, it's he's one of the directors that that I feel so confident uh, introducing to people and trying to get people on the phone with him. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and he's built really good relationships too, I think, with, with 
most everyone that he's worked with or, or people that know of him. So did you do a lot of traditional casting? Like, okay, so I'm thinking of at the very beginning of the film, there's those people who are telling their stories of what got them in foster those care. Those were, were all real foster care kids. I think we 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 found and we went through the network for that. And then Chris uh, Chris England in the in the church. He's a real foster care kid, and it was it was a real speech. Wow, that yeah. was great. Yeah, um, I was there that day with Chris because Chris is a wild card, and so just make sure Chris didn't go off the rails. But he did awesome. He was gonna punch. Yeah, you. he was he was awesome. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a lot of I think real people used throughout throughout the film well they were pretty fantastic those yeah. real people telling their I remember stories the, I remember the, the voice the, 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 yeah. the, the gentleman's voice I forget who he ended up on but that was a big concern of yours the the gentleman that opened the film getting that voice yeah right. I was on the receiving end all the people that you just named that was the equivalent of just an envelope that I was opening in terms of who John was finding after weeks and weeks of searching uh, be they actors or not actors in the, in the case of the foster kids those were all non-actors. And so we were just seeing who would best uh, express the world because it's the beginning of the film. So they're really setting the tone. Um, every time I see Chris Anglin, I always think there's an alternate form of this film where Chris could have played the Thai role, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting, um, you know, in like a Harmony Corinne way or a, maybe Harmony Corinne 20 years ago, but like there, there are other filmmakers that could have made that work. And Chris is so exciting. Um, what he did on set in just a couple of hours. Yeah, just that short moment. Yeah, we were it's like, who's that guy? Yeah. So how did you do? Did you just interview the those people? Mm -hmm. Did you put them on tape and then show him the tape? I, I, you know, I, th I think uh, I mean Chris and other ones. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember. I remember we were dealing with the foster care system and going through it and talking to kids. And I don't remember if the kids that ended up in were put on tape or we just we kind of you know he got to talk to them. I don't remember about how, how we came across the, some of those kids. Um, uh, Chris, I was familiar with. I know I've known Chris for years. And, and then, and then uh, on the day, I mean, uh, AJ was telling him, he's like, no, no, start fighting, start punching, you know? Yeah. All right, start talking, start punching. It was great. <laughs> it's was, it was magical. It's was, it was so great to watch. Yeah. And uh, then you did have a whole big bucket full of extras for no money how did you do that you just said friends and family come, come hang out i mean it, at up? the hotel was actual hotel member people staying at the hotel right okay a lot of a lot of the people You're, oh the, the motel, motel at the yeah, end yeah. Yeah, yeah those are real real people in the rooms but the hotel at the um is it the driscoll yeah uh was it the driscoll or was it with the one in waco i thought that you did was it where'd you guys shoot the, the hotel the hotel where uh where he worked ty and caleb go to visit that woman mona is uh the driscoll Oh, that's the Driscoll. Yeah, we found we we found her. She was great. Uh, but then then all the extras at the ballroom scene, like the New Year's Eve party, that was a lot of friends and family. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and Peggy and I think Peggy um, shot. She she did the extras and she did great, phenomenal job getting people, wrangling yeah. people. Yeah. Because that's not easy to do when you have no money. I mean, there's nothing about that movie that was easy. I don't think. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's so beautiful. I think so. I mean, struggle. I remember. I remember. Uh, I forget what what was it. Uh, um, someone was someone was in the trailer, and they were talking about a movie, and it was um, the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, Revenant, or what was what's the one where he was? In the, oh, Revenant. Is it Re Revenant? Revenant. Yeah. And 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 where he's in the he, snow. With yeah. The bear. And everybody in the trailer was talking about it, and he was like, "Yeah, it's all right." I'm like. <laughs> 
these guys <laughs> tried to kill themselves to make this movie. What do you think people are going to say about ours? <laughs> like, like, have some respect, man. <laughs> He's like, it was all right. Yeah. It's all right. It's like, they shot in, in, the, the, snow in the snow for <laughs> hours and, and I was like, and your review is, it's all right. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I always think that, you know, movies like that that shoot for a whole year and they're actually like chasing the winter across the globe and it yeah. doesn't matter how epic your story is it all comes down to people going, well, I yeah. give it three out of four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> More popcorn, please. I, I exactly. well, You know what we've found and what we're seeing talking to filmmakers is that the most beauty and the best film comes out of this, that these sort of pressure cookers that we're in, you know, that we don't have a lot of uh, money and, and we don't have a lot of uh, resources. And so we have to get super creative. And I think, I think that's one of the things that you're great at as well too, is like, making just beautiful things out of what you have to work with. And it's so fulfilling at the end of the yeah. day, right? It's like now we have everything all of the time and, and people are desperately unfulfilled and unhappy. And, mm. you know, my daughter struggles to be bored because she can always stare at something or whatever. And I'm always trying to tell her, I'm like, but right on the other side of boredom is creativity. Like, that's where it lives. It's like not until you're bored out of your mind do you go, well, okay, what else could I do? And then you create something. Instead of just sedating yourself with all this media every time, you know, it'd be great if we could create boredom and struggle. Does she have an interest in following you? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> She's like, that's not, that's what I don't want to do. <laughs> but I think that's because, you know, she's, She's in a in a world where, you know, there's a lot of uh, anxiety and, you know, financial insecurity with me and my husband. You know, we're both artists. And so there's a lot of, you know, the struggle not paying off um, versus it paying off and her seeing like why it was worth it that mommy followed her heart. Um, you know, she sees that like once. But then the rest of the time she sees me crying over the mortgage or whatever. So she's just a little bit in a world right now where she's like, I think Don't financial <laughs> stability is better to have in life. Um, so I think it's just rooted in that. But unfortunately, she's got my husband and me in her. So she has a hugely empathetic heart. She's not going to be able to deny it for very long. <laughs> I have a, a question for you, AJ. When you're... When we like when we're doing age out and you're casting it, are you looking at the film as a whole? Like for me, when I'm casting, I'm just going, I'm, I'm, you know, putting it together. This, the, who's right for this person? Who's right for that person? Are you, how are you, how are you viewing a film when you're casting it? Like, how are you thinking about when putting all these pieces together? Like, is is it is it is it as a whole painting? Are you are you looking at specific performances or what's your process when when kind of you know drilling down and choosing actors? Um, I guess I, uh, first thing that speaks to me just visually is the physicality. Sometimes when I receive an audition, I'll mute it, um, just so that I'm not immediately, uh, hanging on to say cadences or voice, uh, kind of mannerisms or affects. And just, I'm able to just look at the person and start responding to them without being inundated with, um, I don't, I'm very sensitive to voices. And so that's one thing that I, uh, I'll just try to, I'll just try to watch them first and absorb them. And then, you know, list, start listening to them. 
uh, especially if it's uh, an audition of they're doing lines that I've written. Sometimes that can become rote and feel old, like stale. And so you feel, you start, because then you're judging your own lines and going, well, that's stupid writing. <laughs> and then and then you're not giving the person a fair shot. And so it's like if you had them say someone else is great writing or something, then maybe, so then that's what the the, the voices and the talking sometimes throw me off. So, but then once you get over all those things, I think it's, uh, um, yeah, just trying to just trying to choose a person that'll honor the character they're playing, be faithful to that person's humanity, and uh, fit into the slot that that they need to fulfill in terms of the cog of the story, and uh, um, whether they have a conscious understanding of what they need to do in the film, or whether it's unconscious and they're just naturally. Uh, like a gift to your movie, which is what sometimes happens. It happens especially with non-actors. Um, so, in terms of the whole, I don't think I have a complete view of it. No, not at all. It's really more going with a gut instinct uh, and trying to trust that more and more. Which I, you know, you just want to make decisions that don't make you feel sick. Uh, <laughs> I find that a lot. You know, like when you're accepting money that you know you shouldn't accept or like i said back to casting when you're suddenly are casting someone that you know you shouldn't be casting and you're you're losing sleep over it those kinds of things are what i want to avoid you know it's making decisions whether it's in terms of crew members or cast members or story choices that you're, you're making decisions that you can live with and that you know are faithful to the the overall goal no matter how mysterious it is do you feel like there's a thing that you're doing when you direct actors or do you feel like foundationally you've laid the groundwork by these getting to know you meetings and whatnot, and then you're just letting them do a thing? Probably the latter, I guess. Um, I'm very proud of the performances that have been captured in these movies. And I think that they're very unique Um in the filmographies of these different actors. Because um, in some ways, I think that the the few films I've made, I've cast people that are sort of already of the mold of the character they're playing. There's something in them that is being let loose by playing this role. I'm not asking them to kind of Lon Chaney it and put on this mask and this makeup and this humpback, and which is which is a great, art unto itself, but uh, so far that's not really been tested of the, of the actors we've been talking about. Um, so I, I think, I guess some somewhat of the old cliche that directors like to say, I think is true in terms of what I want, which is creating an environment where they feel free, where they trust that you won't make a fool of them, where they know that in the end you're going to you're going to pick the right take um, in post-production uh, and that you're that, and, and they, that they trust that you're keen enough to see what they're kind of spiking for you. And so hopefully you receive it because I've, I've talked with some actors where they actually had to get involved in post-production because they didn't like the way their performance turned out. These are from kind of big actors that can do that where they, they, they felt, you know, you picked every single wrong take or, uh, you didn't even understand what I was giving you on set. You're too blind to it or something. And so 
you hear these horror stories where where even if you know all the brilliant work that the actor's doing that doesn't matter if come post-production if the the director the editor's not uh savvy enough to uh be be collecting it all and gleaning you know and se you know separating the the wheat from the chafe or whatever so uh I guess that that's you know just I guess as a director you want to remain vigilant and you have to be vigilant not only on set but that vigilance in terms of protecting what the actor's doing has to be throughout the entire process even up even up even to marketing you can make a film and finish it well and then all of a sudden when you when it's distributed they can misconstrue what the movie is or or take the performance and cannibalize it to serve their marketing needs in a way that misrepresents what the film is and can make the actor feel self-conscious, even things like the size of them on the poster. Yeah. You do, know, you that, a, do you have, do you have control at that point as far as like what the poster looks like? I usually make my own poster and then try to get it out as much as I can, uh, in my own little way, but, and then the distributor makes their own poster. And the same thing goes with trailers. I make my own trailer and release it and then they make their own. I kept uh, aged out was called Friday's Child, and I kept uh, the Friday's Child poster. It's the one that I have that AJ made. In the casting scene? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is Friday's Child. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. It was being called Friday's Child. I mean, I think that happens a lot. I think First Love fell prey to that uh, as far as the marketing. But yeah, I think it happens a lot, you know? Uh, First Love is such a beautiful film, and I don't think that they, they, they captured the essence of it in the marketing. Oh, right. Yeah. That's a really interesting casting story where John and I couldn't have been more separate. And it was all just phone calls. And John, what was it? In three weeks or something, John cast. First Love. Yeah. Know, it was during, every, it was it was, during was COVID. Amazing. Yeah, it was during COVID. It was a ton of roles. And it was it had to happen super fast. All over tapes, all over like Skypes and all that kind of stuff. But we, I mean, uh, we were shot in L.A. Just phenomenal cast. Just such just so many great performances in that. How yeah, John you, was like, uh, he was hanging his head. I remember you were so apologetic and going, oh, I don't know. Because I think you were just. I was, I mean, I was, yeah, I, I went through like 3,000 tapes in a matter of like a week and a half. And I, I was at that point, I was just so dizzy and lost. And I was like, I don't know what's good. I don't know what's bad. And like, you, you got to help, you know, let me, I'm sorry if you're watching stuff and you're like, this is horrible. Yeah. No, it was, it was like, it was like someone had just struck the jackpot and was going, I don't know. I, I guess. <laughs> so I had to tell John, I don't I know what saying, I'm going to do with this great. million dollars. I don't know. Yeah. These are all I'm the sorry. numbers. Here's the million dollars. <laughs> Do you find that uh, it's affected you in any way, this common practice of us mostly auditioning via tapes as opposed to in the room? Or are you still able to be in the room? Like, I, as an actor, I'm finding it incredibly difficult to actually make connections and get work when the majority of the time all I get to send is this one tape and it just goes off into the ether and there's no feedback and there's no actual like exchange of pheromones or anything in the room. You know, it's <laughs> nobody is like drawn to to me as a person. I just better nail whatever performance they think they want to see. And this is my shot and it's via tape. And I think there's an extra element of of casting someone when you are talking with the person as opposed to just seeing them perform the script. Do you find that? Oh, for sure. No, it's very limiting the way that we're moving more and more toward 
it just being a, a screenshot essentially and and the person gets one moment to nail it and be a mind reader for what the film is looking for and if they don't then you move on so i think yeah being in the room having a rapport with the actors and then giving feedback to change you know make minute changes that can have incredible uh effects i think all that's important because I, I you you hear stories or at least i have of a you know, actors returning in disguises uh, to um, casting sessions where when first they were rejected, they come back and look different. And then, you know, the director goes, oh, wow, this person's amazing. And so it all had to do with something the director had at lunch that day that made him <laughs> less aware. Or there's something about maybe the chestnut hair as opposed to the auburn hair that, you know, just stupid personal bi like bias that, can make someone blind. Um, and I've even heard that with big known actors where it's like they came back and they were able to fool the team and then it is legendary what they went on to make. So. I did have a run where I decided I was just going to be British because British actresses were getting all of the roles. <laughs> did you have a good British accent? I, I, do I have one? Yes. Not today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I was like, what if I went into my auditions and I was just British? Then would they um, automatically think I'm better? They would. Yeah. Okay. Like, See? Help? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing, I think it was either Peter Coyote or someone talking about when you go in, you want to spill water or trip or, you know, do something that makes you immediately identifiable as oh that's the guy that spilled water on himself or that's the guy that yeah. dropped yeah. the dropped the sides or you know you want to do something like that to get in their heads so that you're you immediately have a color as opposed to just being another name on the sheet that's amazing do you yeah. have, do you have like um i guess too um an enjoyable part of casting and then your least favorite part of casting I mean, the joyful part is the beautiful thing when an actor that you've been pursuing says yes. When you get that call, either from the agent or like I was mentioning earlier with Caleb Landry Jones, and they say, hey, I'm in. Uh, you know, for all the, the burden that's placed upon actors and all the, the pain that they go through trying to search and like you say, make a living and get these parts and auditions every day. There's also the, the flip side of the director knowing that the movie can only exist with certain actors so when you do get that yes uh that is definitely the most exciting moment in terms of when you're pursuing name talent the other most joyful moment is like when we we're john you and i were talking about when we're doing either non-actor casting or maybe people that aren't as known and after a thousand folks you open up your laptop and you and it just immediately everyone knows in the room that you found the right person because uh, you're doubting yourself after a thousand people, three thousand people, you're going, I'm blind, I can't even tell anymore. But then sure enough, when you see the right person, everyone in the room goes, that's it. And they can tell that they've struck gold. And so that moment when you find something that you didn't even know if it existed, and now you have physical confirmation of it, that it, that, you, that, the, that the part's going to be embodied in a brilliant way, that's always, that's just so um, satisfying. And then in terms of... Um, Worst part of casting, it'd be the flip side. Yeah, it'd be rejection. You know, when you get that, you know, you you thought that the coffee meeting went well and you thought, oh, they might say yes, or they really seem to respond to the script and they told you everything they liked about it. But then a week later, you get that dreaded phone call or that email that says, you know, 
it's just not going to work out. I'm so sorry. I've got a lot of commitments this year and, uh, or whatever it is, you know, that, that always really stinks. And so it's important to rebound from that very quickly. Cause I, I know some filmmakers that have had, had it so stuck in their head that, Oh, it has to be this actor. It has to be this actress or whatever that they, they don't rebound from the rejection or it makes them blind to other opportunities of other actors or agents or whatever option is, is knocking on their door and they can, they can move on from that. But so you have to rebound fast. What advice would you give to actors auditioning for you? It may sound trite, but to never give up because the pool only becomes smaller. Uh, you know, when you're looking for a 20 year old, whatever you get 5,000 submissions, but when you're looking and then when you look for a 45 year old, whatever, you know, you have fewer submissions and, uh, it is, I know that sounds trite to say never give up, but as a director and having been a person that receives uh, the results of casting calls or reaching out to agents and so on, like the, the pile is physically so much smaller uh, that if you stay with it, you will see the results of your patience, your time, your sacrifices and your effort. And I remember hearing Ethan Hawke talk about that, how he was saying, you know, when he was 20 years old and he's competing against uh, River Phoenix and uh, Keanu Reeves and all these kinds of things, you know, it was very disheartening when you go to that, you know, you're going to a casting call with everyone else and then River Phoenix is going up to accept his best supporting actor Oscar. And yet you guys both came from the same acting school. Those kind of things can be disheartening, but uh, you know, obviously today, at, I don't know, what is he 50 or something? Ethan Hawke has this wonderful career that everyone looks up to. And it's, it's not because of, one year's success or one year's Oscar or something or one performance, it's it's from the longevity of it, of how long he stuck with it. Um, I heard Matthew Broderick last week say the same thing in the New York Post. He was talking about that the 90s were very hard for him. And he, so here he is, a great respected legendary actor that's talking about decades, some being better than others. Uh, so I think that that's sticking with it. And that goes for directors too. I mean, I, I think it's about... It's, an, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's about your endurance and people, not everyone will make it. So therefore your, you know, your chances, if you stick with it, only increase. Can I just have AJ around all the time, <laughs> like just in my pocket? Like, just give me that little pep talk. <laughs> I like that rah-rah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the things you say to me, because we've we have he has so many great projects that we're always trying to get going is that it'll get made when it's ready when it's time like you have faith you have you, you, your faith seems to be unwavering unwa you know and you seem to really believe in it and then sometimes i'll say uh i said one time i said yeah well, not a lot of people saw it and he goes but the right people saw it mm. oh, that was cool <laughs> so I, I i now go and say i go i make I, we we make we make films uh that, that nobody watches but the right people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Yes. I appreciate it, man. We took up uh, about an hour yeah. or so of your time. And um, this is very, there's lots of great nuggets in here. Really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been very fun. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. You make beautiful films. And so you too keep doing it. Yeah. Can't wait for the next one. Thanks I, so I much, that. AJ. We appreciate you.
All thank right. You, thank you. Awesome. All right. Thanks okay. for joining the room. Thanks for joining us. Um, probably go to your Instagram, TCS in the Room Podcast. And we have to figure out how to promote this. Link thing. in bio. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, click on all the all the platforms. Whatever, wherever you get your podcasts, <laughs> tune in.